Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Welcome back to Diverse Tech Founders podcast. And man, do we have a show ready to go for you all today. We're welcoming into the virtual studio, one of the folks who helped to get all of this started, Abby uh, from Asuzu. And I've known Abby since 2013. Wow, seems like just yesterday, but it's been 10 years, Abby. And we met then and we talked a lot about how we grew up and our different backgrounds and the like. And you clearly were inspiring based on your journey. But tell us about childhood, Abby. Walk us back. Take us back to that moment when you were walking around before all of this trying to figure out life. And also answer if that person, that younger Abby, would be friends with the Abby that we all see today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Abraham, for having me. We go down memory lane a lot, and it's, it's crazy to think about. It's been, you know, 10 years at this juncture. Time really flies. You know, thinking back at my life, you know, my story started in the slums of Lagos, Nigeria. Grew up with my mother and lost my father at the age of two. And I was raised by two sisters and my mom. One thing my mother fundamentally believed in was just the importance of education. And she afforded my school fees to one of the finest high schools in the land, which sort of helped me come to the United States today. But thinking about your question, the younger Abbe and, you know, currently if they'll be friends, I fundamentally believe so. I think what the younger Abbe stood for was not accepting mediocrity as the order of the day, number one, and number two, being very entrepreneurial. I remember when I was in middle school slash high school, continued into high school, I was the kid that used to sort of smuggle Game Boy cartridges and sell to students in boarding house. I was the kid that, you know, brought PlayStation CDs and sold to the other kids in school. So I've always been entrepreneurial and that, you know, continued throughout the course of my life and essentially doing what I do today. I think one thing I've also believed in is asking why. I always ask my mother why you know, sometimes we couldn't have three square meals or sometimes why I didn't have things the kids from school have. I think that has also followed me throughout my life in terms of what we do at Isusu, which is, you know, why do we have 110 million people that pay rent every day? And, they are, and that's not factored into their credit scores. So that's compassionate inquiry has always been part of my story. And I think the young Abbe and current Abbe would relate with those realities of challenging the status quo, asking why, and thinking about entrepreneurship as the way to have a better life. Absolutely. And both Abbeys do sound like kindred spirits. I know how much your family has played a role in your life, but I got I to gotta be honest with you. When you start counting down, number one, number two, it takes me back to when we were uh, at Berkeley in the program. And you, I think you'll appreciate this, very much stood out as the one who was always given the business perspective in a room full of folks who were really focused on policy and politics, and you always kept us honest in that regard. Uh, so I know that your business acumen started pretty early, but for the folks who don't know, maybe you could just tell us about and describe your earliest experiences with technology and innovation, uh, because I think that's slightly different, but just curious when, when that started for you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Abraham. I think you know, if we go down memory lane and think about me, see Berkeley, we were 
kids, literally in college, wanting to make the world a more perfect place. You know, we were policy wonks and knew fundamentally governments played a quintessential role in creating a more perfect society. And we couldn't just do it in a vacuum. I think my voice at the table then was just, we can have a heart for the world, but I had a head for business. And I think if you marry both, there's great power in what you could do to make the world what it should be, um, in my humble opinion. So I think reflecting back on that time um, and my sort of foray into technology was I used to run a water business in undergrad, leveraging old forms of drilling and doing things like pressure pumps, leveraging some technology to monitor water distribution, particularly in developing countries like Nigeria, Zimbabwe, you know, Nepal, Haiti. And that, when I moved to New York City for graduate school, changed and sort of transformed into how do we leverage data to actually map international development finance on the African continent? You know, you have trillions of dollars that have been distributed since the inception of the Bretton Woods institutions, uh, you know, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, and many others, where is all this capital going to? And I really just wanted to map that. So that was my real foray into software. And, you know, we did that. And, you know, that company was acquired just before I you know, left for corporate America. But that also created an inquisitive sense uh, where my co-founder and I, Samir, were really passionate about the idea of, you know, really, no matter where you come from, the color of your skin and your financial identity shouldn't determine where you end up in the wealthiest nation the world has ever seen. And dare I say anywhere in the world. And our backgrounds you know, Samir's parents being marginalized when they moved to America. My story, when we came here, having to borrow money at over 400% interest rate, you know, was something we asked, that's not right, especially in a country like this. So we wanted to leverage technology for good. And that's precisely what we did with Isuzu. Love it. And in true Abby fashion, you are being quite modest. Did you just say you had a water company? I'm pretty sure. So talk about clean water for everyone. And didn't you like meet former President Bill Clinton and you were at the United Nations and all that? I'm sure that informed what you're doing today, which brings us to Isuzu. And for the folks who aren't aware, who may maybe have been you know, living under a rock, what is Isuzu and from where did the idea originate? Because that may be a story people don't know as much. Absolutely. And I think you, you make a good point. You know, my foray into entrepreneurship was finding clean water for everyone, which was the company that really you know, provided access to water for developing countries, mostly focused on schools. And at the peak of the company, we had provided access to water for over a quarter million people in seven countries. And yes, like you said, you know, President Clinton and the Clinton Global Initiative supported our work and had the opportunity to just talk about what we're doing. But it goes back to this idea of the why. Why do we have all this wealth in it? around the world and folks can get, you know, a liter of water a day while people still, you know, dying of, you know, dysentery, tuberculosis, which I almost died of when I was in Nigeria. So my journey has always been something personal. And that's precisely what Isusu's story was all about. If, if I go down memory lane, it came from Lagos, Nigeria, from 80 degree weather. 
<laughs> to negative 20 degrees in Minnesota for college. And during that transition, things were incredibly hard. My mother and I did not have a credit score. We walked into one of the biggest banks to borrow money in Minneapolis, and we were turned away and had to go borrow money from a payday loan lender at over 400% interest rate. My mother pawned my father's ring and a bunch of other jewelry, and that's how we got started in America. So really inspired by that experience and my co-founder, Samir, who started Isusu on those three premises. No matter where you come from, the color of your skin, and your financial identity shouldn't determine where you end up in the wealthiest nation the world has ever seen. And we took it a step further and we were intentional and said, the only way we can have progress in this country is to think about the power of data to bridge the racial wealth gap. That was our focus, the vision as the company. And what we do in practice today at Isusu is the 110 million people that rent, on an average, they send $1.44 trillion to their landlords every year. Only 10% of that data is captured and factored into people's credit profiles. So we built an end-to-end platform that captures that data, report it into the credit rating agencies, and help people establish and build their credit scores. And when COVID happened, we said, look, a large amount of people on our platform were going to be evicted or you know, be at the risk of eviction. So we started offering zero-interest loans. So people stay in their homes. The landlord is also profitable. And as a society, we're not solving homelessness backwards. Today, we're in 2.5 million rental units in all 50 states. And we recently just raised a round of financing that values the company at a billion dollars. So that's you know a little bit about Isusu, um, a streamlined version of the story, but there's a lot to unpack. There is, and we want to unpack the origins because you are probably the furthest along than anyone who's come into this studio. And so the success that you've had so far is apparent. And we want to know what it was like sort of early on, because when you came to the app launch party back in November 2019, I believe you had just closed the first or the earliest of your Series A rounds. And you've obviously made a lot of progress since then. But what evidence of traction did you see back then that locked you into seeing this idea to the end? Because a lot of people have maybe similar experiences or struggles or issues and problems, but you built a business around yours and you had enough people validated to grow into a billion dollar business. So what evidence of traction did you see way back then that kept you going? That's a very thoughtful question. What evidence kept us going? I think we built Isusu on this premise that the current status quo was not sustainable. The system sort of treats people like they are guilty until proven innocent. I wanted to do something about it. And, you know, the whole concept of Isusu is really relies on the concept of if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you fundamentally go together. And the first time we had this conversation and we celebrated the launch of this program, you know, we had just closed a $1.6 million round of financing. And we were still figuring a lot of things out. A lot of things were still at its infancy. And before that $1.6 million round of financing, we, there were a lot of no's. You know, over 300 investors said no to us and said this idea didn't have legs. And my co-founder and I, one, one vivid story I remember, we just sold our first you know, one of our first contracts to the University of Minnesota for $20,000. And we couldn't afford an hotel room because we had depleted our savings. 
maxed out our credit cards. And the only thing we did was just decide to hang out at a Dennis in Fargo, North Dakota. So we can have a Grand Slam power through walk that night and, you know, board a plane to San Francisco to go raise more money. Unfortunately, around 2 a.m., we were dozing off and the manager respectfully came and said, gentlemen, you know, unfortunately, I have to ask you to leave. So we're kicked out of a dentist <laughs> and I had to go, you know, spend the night on those massage chairs at the airport. So the road to get here wasn't rosy. And we stay hungry. We're reminded about where we come from. Regardless of what happens, Abi Wemimo is still that kid from the slums of Lagos, Nigeria. Try to leverage data to make the world a more perfect place and above all, bridge the racial wealth gap. You never forget that. That's where I come from. That's who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. And no additional capital would change that. What it has the opportunity to do is to amplify crack the door open or make it as wide as possible so as many people that look like me can have the opportunity until we have 100 unicorns companies that are valued at over a billion dollars minimum we're not successful the struggle continues i love that and the community vibe is is super strong by the way that photo of you and Samir in the Denny's just, it captures you. It says a lot about who you are and the focus and how you've remained the same throughout all of these years and it's consistent. So I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to say those things and talk about those stories and struggles that, you know, some people may not include in their, in their rise uh, like you have. So this is good. And you've mentioned Samir a number of times, a great person. And I can see why you all vibe so much. I mean, you're both locked in. You can see it in your eyes. So you can feel free to talk about Samir and the value and the friendship that you all have. But also, if you were going to design a co-founder from scratch and recommend to other people how to go about selecting a co-founder, what are some things that you would recommend that are rare to find, specifically that one thing that you couldn't live without? Yeah, you know, none of what we've built at Isusu will be possible, you know, without Samir, I think it is critically important to have someone that you trust. You can, the biggest thing about finding a company and building it to scale is you need to check your ego at the door. And that's something Samir and I aligned on earlier on in our journey is whatever decisions we make, we're doing it in the best interest of the company. It's not about one person. It's about what's in the best interest of the company. And that's tough. You need a special kind of person. And that's what Samir exemplifies is like my best friend, someone I trust in my life, someone that's going to be the best man in my wedding because we've been through it all. We've been through the thick, we've been through the thin, we've been through the most desperate times, but still we rise. So, you know, when I think about what sort of makes a good or a great co-founder, number one is just someone that's we all have our egos, but we all check it at the door and say, we're building something bigger than us. It is bigger than you. If you're serious about impacting the world, that is step one. If you're doing it to be celebrated and to have press attentions and you know to be elevated, that's the wrong hypothesis. Both co-founders or multiple need to focus on the greater good and the company. Number two is folks that just do the work. We don't talk about that a lot you know we talk about a lot of inspirational stuff but you need someone Samia and I have like walked from 
8 a.m. to 3 a.m. and pick it up at 9 a.m. At some point, we were customer support people, we were contract people, we were legal folks that can wear many hats and just do the work. No one, nothing was, nothing was too big or too small for us to do. We were custodians of the business. Even even when it comes to cleaning the the room, we're situated in Harlem, which you've been to, Abraham. Right, we have a little small room right next to the Apollo Theater our office in Harlem, and we call ourselves a Silicon Harlem business, right? Because that means a lot to us. So that mentality, that scrappiness, you know, being egoless, or we all have egos checking in at the door, is utterly important. And above all, for you to build a company, you have to be think about the vision. You know, we came out there and said we wanted to leverage data to bridge the racial wealth gap. That's an audacious statement. I don't know any company that has come out there unapologetically and has been valued at a billion and raised 130 million. We fundamentally believe in what we do and you need partners, a co-founder that's perfectly aligned. Because once you draw out your North Star, then it's just about chipping away at it. So the three things for me is checking your ego at the door, working incredibly hard, and above all, setting your North Star and both parties need to be aligned on it. If you do those, amongst many other things, that's the foundation to build a great company. I love that. I love that. And it shows in your dynamic and how successful that you all have been. Do you mind if we pull back a few layers for a second, Abby? Because we normally ask folks about balancing or whether they separate or combine their personal life and their professional life. But through this all, as you have been growing, you and Samir have been growing this company to unicorn status, you've had some major life moments as well. So maybe you could talk about the role that your business has played in your life and how it impacts your personal life and your growth. Could you just talk about how all of that came together for you? Yes. Running a business like ours, which is impact focused and shrewdly focused on the revenue, is there's no personal life and company life. Just the truth. You're building something from scratch. It's like your baby. It's like saying you give birth to a child and yes, you know, the baby is, you can compartmentalize the baby. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's an integral part of my life. And, you know, throughout that journey, what Isusu has been able to provide me, especially as a professional and an entrepreneur is accelerated growth. Something that would have taken some people in corporate America to get to in 20 to 30 years. So me and I have been able to learn in four years and build a company like that. It's, it's just truncated, accelerated growth, hyper growth. As a human being, as a person, you know, a sister has grown from 25 people from the last time we spoke, Abraham, to now close to 120 people, right? And it's probably going to be around 300 people by the end of the year. So these are accelerated growth sprouts that, you know, the company essentially walks you through. But I must also confess, it is hard. It is hard. And your mental health takes a toll. You're not only thinking for yourself, you're thinking for the people that wake up every day trying to make the company the best it possibly can be. And every decision you make has ramifications on them. That's a huge responsibility. It actually gives me a lot of empathy for a lot of folks that are in public service or run companies that tens of thousands of people, because the decision, it's not just about you, it's about them. And that's hard. 
every step, every move, everything you say has consequences. And you got to be cognizant of that. And then personal life, it took a toll. Yeah, if I had to be honest, I have a fiance right now that understands and, you know, entrepreneur in our own rights also, building incredibly more successful than I can ever be. And someone I also look up to and, you know, understands what we are trying to do at Isusu. So your life, and if you're building something formidable, uh, inextricably tied together for you to realize the true potential of what you're trying to do. Wow, that is so sweet, if I must say. Uh, I think that would be welcome to many folks' ears. But you're right, it is hard. And I think acknowledging that is important, that it's not all going to be rosy and easy or serious. And given that it's not all serious, maybe you could talk briefly about how you keep it fun, how you and Samir and the Asuzo team have fun in your business uh, as you move. I mean, because it's tough, it's hard. Uh, you can, you know, get beat up on a regular basis, long hours and the like. But what's a way that you and Samir and the Asuzu team keep it fun in your business? Keep it fun. Oh, <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, we we try to do a lot of things. One of the core values here at Asuzu that we've always appreciated and we talked about was just gratitude. You know, it's it's right there on our website. We practice what we preach. We truly appreciate everyone that wake up every morning, that walks at Isusu, that thinks about Isusu, the village that supports us to make it what it is today and our clients and society at large to let us exist. You know, gratitude is also important to us. In this remote world where we have people in different walks of life, we're throwing things like company retreats to bring people together and talk, build community because we're social animals at the end of the day. I know COVID has thrown a wrench on this and we are all operating in this virtual environment, but we try to bring people together, you know, game nights, and then there are a whole bunch of cultural building activities that we do at the company to keep things fun and make sure people feel as though they are, you know, they are living the life they want to live. But we have a lot of work to do in that arena also because we tend to have a, <laughs> the vision we're matching towards is very, very serious, right? But if I were to be honest and introspective, we could have a little bit more fun at Isuzu within reason. There it is. Don't let the Isuzu team hear that. They may have some suggestions for your inbox, maybe full after this. But let's stay on this for a little bit longer, Abby. Uh, music, culture, you know, art, visual, you mentioned events. It's a huge part of our culture and the people that you are serving. And I'm sure they'd be curious to know which artists, any artist, music, visual, however you define it, most inspires the work that you do. Like what is pushing you? Who gets you in your flow? What is something that you can tap into just by experiencing someone else's version of expressing themselves via art? Wow, that's hard. That is hard. I think I've gone through phases in my life. When I was young, I used to just, I still do, love Tupac, the lyrics. The, the lyrics are just, you know, I grew up with a single mother. And if you, if you listen to Dear Mama, you're like, wow, you know, just the, what women go through for us to be what we are today. My mother played a quintessential role in my life and I will not be who I am without my, the sacrifices my mother has made. And that song really resonates with me. Even while I was in Nigeria, oddly enough. So Tupac, his lyrics, 
you know, is crucially important. I'm more of an old school kind of guy, you know, old hip hop is kind of my thing. And I'm also a big gospel guy, actually. I listen to gospel every morning when I'm taking a shower. You know, that's where I try to, you know, channel my inner Whitney Houston only for myself in the in the in the bathroom. You know, one song that keeps me going is, you know, Brown Clock by Grace, which is, you know, it goes like, I just wanna thank you forever and ever and ever. It just it just gets me going. It's like uh, God has a huge role and has played and continued to play a big part in my life. And I'm nothing without the God I serve. He's been faithful. He's been loyal. And if you think about my story, it's a story of against all odds and reimagining the impossible. If you were to think about my life when I was born or when I was 10 or when I was 15 and say, I will be here, it's, it's by God's grace. Amen. And looks like we may have some things we can exchange. I also have a couple of albums and soundtracks that you might like in that genre. So it's good to know. So I learned so many things. Uh, but let's talk about where you are now physically, because as you mentioned, grew up in Nigeria, all of these experience over the last 30 odd years. Now you're living in Los Angeles, California. Talk to us about what you're most excited about in L.A., in the startup ecosystem and what it's been like moving from New York to L.A. Yes, I, you know, New York is one of the greatest cities in the world, point blank period. And I love New York. Just the energy it reminds me of Lagos, where I was born. It's the cacophony of folks and experiences. I always say, you know, New York, you can you can't take New York to anyone. You gotta come to New York to experience New York. That's just the way it is. But my transition to LA was in large part due to my fiance getting a big job in the West Coast and Los Angeles was our place and you know, I just followed the woman because I have flexibility in my life. I can work from anywhere. And you know, it was a great choice. But I've also started getting involved in Los Angeles. You know, one of the things I'm passionate about, you know, outside of our vision, I just to leverage data to bridge the racial wealth gap. You know, one of our core focus, our mission is to keep working families. And I dare I see all families in their homes, you know, through the power of what we do with our product at Isusu. So when I walk on the streets and I see people homeless, which Los Angeles has a large amount of people homeless, it's an outrage. And, you know, a couple blocks down, you can see mansions that are valued at tens of millions of dollars. And I think it's a shame for us as a society. And we failed a lot of people, a lot of reasons why people are homeless. And I, I don't relegate that factor, but I think we can do better and prevent a lot of this matters and give people a dignity of having a roof over their head or finding an arrangement for them. But the status quo is not sustainable and we should be, we should all be outraged. So, you know, getting involved in that arena, you know, with the United Way, trying to support from a homelessness perspective is, you know, something I've gotten myself involved in. In the startup ecosystem, still navigating, still building community. You know, we have a, we have a place in, in LA at the second home and the new house in Hollywood. Uh, so it's been great to build community and just learn from other folks in the ecosystem. And, you know, one of the other things is just thinking about how we can leverage art. You know, people that look like you and I, we don't really engage with art and art played a big role in my life. Um, 
when I was in New York, just to meet people and expand my intellectual frame of reference and just making sure, you know, kids from South LA, you know, kids from different parts of Los Angeles can enjoy art at places like at the Los Angeles, you know, County Museum of Arts, LACMA, and being involved in, in the community there has been really rewarding. They have an, an amazing curator that really wants to level the playing field and make sure, you know, art is more accessible to everyone, not just the select few. So those are the things I've been spending my time on, really three major things. The startup ecosystem, being a strong advocate for homelessness and contributing my own humble quota for what we do at Isusu. I'm partnering with the likes of United Way to make that happen. And hopefully soon, um, LA County, just getting more people involved in art, particularly people of color, folks that look like me, um, to just experience and see things uh, from a different dimension. Um, there's a big art show going on, the African-American Black Portraits at the LACMA. It's amazing. If you're in LA, you should check it out. Absolutely. And you work fast. I think there are a number of great initiatives uh, around art uh, that we could talk about. One that comes to mind is a friend of mine from law school, actually a, a first-generation Nigerian-American, started an African museum in the metaverse uh, where people can come and their first experience in the metaverse is looking at a bunch of NFTs from, you know, all over the place, all over the world with artists uh, in the diaspora. So that's super cool. You mentioned this pivot kind of from New York to L.A. Seems like it's working out for you. Can you name a pivot in your career uh, that you think changed everything? And it doesn't have to relate to Isuzu. I know you were uh, sort of in politics or policy and now business and tech. How are you define it or interpret it? Is there a point in time where you made a decision could have been this, could have been that, could have been A or B, and that choice made a huge difference in your life? It's a very good question. I think my life has been and continues to be a constellation of many things, and it sort of, it builds. You know, if I go back to middle school and high school, the selling PlayStation CDs and cartridges, you know, came to the University of Minnesota doing water stuff and campaigning for President Obama and went to graduate school worked at the Clinton Global Initiative and, you know, incorporate America. I think it builds. It's a, it's a constellation of experiences. But in retrospect, I think one decision I have, I made that has fundamentally changed my life is, you know, the first time Samia and I met and, you know, we met in Miami at the Clinton Global, in Arizona, actually, at the Clinton Global Initiative Conference and just continue to support each other, make an introduction. That kind of friendship and trust was key. I think that was one of the big events in my life and our decision to leave corporate America when we were doing well to start Isuzu was really powerful. And, you know, arguably the most important one in the past year or two is, you know, being engaged, meeting my fiance. I think something just happened when we met. There was just this unparalleled focus I had and continue to have whereby no distractions, utterly focused. And it's helped a lot with execution, you know, not doing, not going out as much, you know, just focused. And, you know, in retrospect, I think these are probably two decisions really involving relationship. Like Samia is like my work husband, my friend and, you know, my partner, everything. Then my, my fiance and soon to be my wife. And, you know, those decisions, those relationships have been the best decisions and the, the turning points in my life. Absolutely. And my dad had me reading a book on, I think it's the Gantt study, 
uh, which is a combination of Harvard and Oakland, a longitudinal study on how to live a quote-unquote successful and happy life. And what they found was that it was relationships, the number and the depth of relationships over time, whether with siblings or parents or close friends, work husbands in your case, as well as your fiance, that was the key, not anything else. So clearly you're on the right track as well if, if that study uh, holds up. We also ask a lot of people if they want to run a billion dollar company and we ask them why or why not because it had all these philosophical uh, insights that we can typically build on, but you've reached that status. So maybe you could talk to us about what it's like on the other side. Is it what you thought? What should folks be on the lookout for as they approach this unicorn status? What folks should be on the lookout for when, as they approach unicorn status? Number one, set an audacious vision that would inspire people to get on board with. You know, Adesus has is the leverage data to bridge the racial wealth gap. And it's something we're going to continue to dedicate our lives to till at least expires on the surface of this earth. Number two is nothing worth doing is worth doing alone. Find people that you go through the good times, the bad times, the not so good times with and invest in good talent. There's a saying, you get what you pay for. Get people that are utterly passionate about the vision, mission, the values of the company. So you are aligned and you are in for the long term. That sets a foundation instead of you building a mansion and a sinking sand. And the last thing that is equally important to focus on is, I think, do something that impacts the world. We, you can make money by doing a bunch of things. You can work in corporate institutions. You can trade. But do something that when you wake up every day, it's like you're, you're excited, you're passionate. You want to chip away at it. You get excited. Don't just do it for the money. Do it because you want to have an impact. And then money becomes a byproduct. The valuations become a byproduct. But I think those are the things that, you know, will sustain, not only help you reach that point, but will sustain you over and over again, right? And the last thing that, you know, for folks that are believers, is just have some kind of faith because this, this journey, you got to believe in the future. And the only way I believe in the future for me is my faith in God. It's really it for me. And I don't expect that of you know, anyone else, we all have our free will. We all believe in whatever we want to believe in. But for me, God is faithful. Love that. So as we said at the beginning, uh, you kind of kicked all this off. You were the first app launch party that we threw uh, in Harlem. And we had a few more before the pandemic and have since just kind of expanded and tried to connect people uh, founder to founder, just a variety of different things. So if you can remember back to that November 2019 uh, night, I uh, remember there was a Q&A session after you gave your speech, and there were some folks who asked some, some pretty good questions. Uh, but if it were you in the audience instead of as a founder, and you were the last person asking a question of a founder, you didn't really know much about them, but you really wanted to go deeper, what's a question that you could ask at an app lunch party in that environment that you would want an answer to? Very thoughtful question. What question would I ask in retrospect at that app lunch party? My question would be what is the importance of having a mission, vision, values to recruit the best people? Wow. So I just want to stay here just for a second longer because you brought this up multiple times in the last few minutes. So people in recruiting, 
clearly that's playing a huge role in what you do. Are you saying that, you know, it's harder to get that right? Like, what are you seeing that people need to be on the lookout for there? We've hired people that could earn a million dollars elsewhere, but it took a huge pay cut to come work at this institution because they believe in the mission, vision, values. America is a story and it's the it's this founding creed that although we've not lived up to it, that we owe these truths to the self-evidence that all men, should be men and women, are created equal. But it was also this assignment to create a more perfect union. It's perpetual in nature. Whether we agree with each other, whether we don't agree with each other, when things happen, we have that to hold on to. And we're working hard. We question it. We call it out to make it more perfect. It's those founding creeds that, ta- that stand the test of time. And regardless of what you want to do, if you have an audacious vision, Elon Musk wants to go to the Mars. He's built a lot of enterprises. Just reimagining the impossible. Jeff Bezos went to get your delivery yesterday, just in time, right? So people play a quintessential role. And Isusu are people are the most important piece of what we do. They are at the core. And without the right vision, mission, and values, you can reach the promised land. And I don't even think you should reach the promised land. The promised land should be perpetual in nature because we should all have a chip on our shoulders trying to make what we're doing more perfect because it's a continuum. If you have something that could be reached, that's your mission, but your vision should be perpetual in nature. And that's what we are excited about. And I think that's what it takes you know, to build a great company. It's just been grounded in those realities. And there'll be tough times. There's an African-American saying, if you hang around the barbershop, sooner or later, you're going to get a haircut, right? You know, you go to the barbershop, you hang out there, there are like 10 people ahead of you. You just hang out, but you're going to get it eventually. And that's what happened during fundraising for us. 300 people said no, but some people bet on us and look at where we are today. Love that. Love that. And you are clearly adding a billion dollars plus worth of value. I know this is just the beginning for you, just knowing who you are. This was not the goalpost, as you said. It's perpetual. Got a lot of energy in you. There's still a lot of work to be done. And I'll say this just to add a brief personal touch. Abby, it's a special you know, day for us to be able to hop in here and kind of talk about your company. But people may not really realize how great of a person you are and how willing you are to help people to work through uh, their identities and their situations. I remember we had many conversations. It's almost odd right now to not have a whiteboard that you can use to map out your life lessons and all that. But I'm very appreciative of it. And I think it says a lot that you have been consistent in your character as you've risen. And I think that is largely, um, you know, the reason for your success is who you are as a person. So I just want to say thank you for that. And does it feel like we've sort of come to the end of our time here? I know we've been catching up and it's been good, but uh, our time is is running low here. Uh, so I want to ask just one more question of you. If you know folks were listening to this right now, they've been seeing you or had no idea who you were until this interview, but they really like what you had to say and want to keep following your journey or potentially even reach out to you and get a response. What's the best way that folks can do that? I know you're prolific on LinkedIn. There's a lot of press going around, et cetera. But if folks want to connect with you directly, how should they go about that? Yeah, thanks a lot, Abraham. And I appreciate the kind words. And, you know, we've known each other for 10 years now. And I appreciate you as a human being. Also, we've grown together. And it goes back to what Isusu stands for. You know, it takes a village for us to continue to get to where we want to get to. And you can't go at it alone. And regardless of who I am today, 
you know, I just want to ask for grace because I will fail certain people. I will make mistakes. I will not respond to email or text messages or LinkedIn messages as fast as I, as I would like to. You know, I'm just human at the end of the day and I have my own flaws. So just asking for grace throughout as we juggle um, this journey and this continuum of life. If people want to reach me, the easiest way is LinkedIn, to be honest. You know, I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. Try to engage a lot there and just focus and find ways to sort of support. And one of the other things we're going to be doing, a lot of people have reached out and said that they're very inspired about what we've been able to do. And we're encouraged by that. But people have also asked for help. And one of the things that has inspired, you know, Samia and I to think through is how do we democratize our experience at Isuzu? And coming soon, we are going to be publishing, you know, non-confidential pieces of our deck, of our Series B deck, so people can see how we raised 130 million and how the company became a billion dollar business. So we're not just inspiring, we're actually giving people the tools to go get there. And number two is the internal process to go to investors, how to gather the right documents, what documents do you need, who do you talk to? So essentially creating a strategy through execution documents that will be published also, and a whole bunch of resources that people can leverage so they don't make the mistakes we've made in the past, and at the same time, can build something more formidable from a stronger base. So we're working hard on that. We're going to publish that in coming weeks. So people have access to it. You know, we've seen a lot of situations whereby someone did something, but we really don't know. I think you and I have talked about this a lot. You and I had that conversation about, you know, President Obama, for example. Like there's a lot of untold stories of getting there and no one really talks about those things. And we want to be transparent and just don't inspire, you know, or the easiest way to say it is we want to have the dream of Martin Luther King, but the execution of Jeff Bezos, but make it free and open source so people can have access to it. Love that. Continuing to give, it never ends. Abby, thank you so much. Until next time, we will bid you adieu. Thank you so much. And remember, folks, you are the embodiment of infinite possibilities. Awesome. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.